Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Hello and good morning to you. We are glad at Bible Center that you have chosen to join to worship with us this morning. I trust you're having a wonderful Sunday morning. And so I am Pastor Ryan. I'm the high school ministry pastor here at Bible Center Church. And I would like to start our study before we dive in with a word of prayer. Father, we fall before you right now in this place asking you, we are begging you to show us your glory. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. I find my sufficiency in you. It comes from you. I don't speak to gain a reputation for eloquence. I speak to declare the glory of God. I speak to expose these precious souls to the Christ, the true Christ who is more beautiful than we can imagine. Humble our hearts to receive your written, spoken word. Shape and fashion us into your likeness. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. As we begin our study, I want us to think of our big idea as a mathematical equation. It's a simple mathematical equation, but it is a potentially deadly mathematical equation if lived out. Unsustainable load plus fast pace equals crash and burn. Unsustainable load plus fast pace equals crash and burn. Let me kind of expand on that. What I mean by that is when we carry an unsustainable load at a pace that we weren't designed to carry that at, we will burn out inevitably. And the worst part about it is this then renders us ineffective for the kingdom of God. I want to unpack this a little further as we begin. When I say those words unsustainable and load, many of you are probably like inside, you're raising your hands, you're like, yep, that's me, I identify, I've got one of those, an unsustainable load. Many of you think you might identify with it, and so you're kind of listening on to see, do, is, is that me, is that possibly me? It might be. So we have a few examples I, that you'll notice on the screen. The first is of Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress This is a John Bunyan classic. It's one of my favorites. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with it. It is a book that awakens our hearts and minds to the grace of God. It shows us God's power over the bondage of sin. As Christian is pictured carrying this this burdened backpack, if you will, that was his load to carry, his bondage of sin, a load that he had to lay at the feet of Jesus in order to experience freedom because he was headed for crash and burn. I'm speaking to some folks, I'm sure, right now whose, whose list of patients is through the roof. You probably have desks piled high with papers, paperwork. It feels like there's no end, no way out, but there is, and we're going to talk about it. The next is American Ninja Warrior. This is one of my favorites. Why is it one of my favorites? Why do I love it? Because I don't have to do it. That's why. I get to sit on the couch and generally eat something I probably shouldn't be eating, raiding the pantry at 10 o'clock at night and watching somebody else run the obstacle course. And we might make it some of the way when we are, because often, oftentimes we are living, our, our lives kind of feel like an obstacle course. It feels like we're living out an obstacle course before others' eyes. And we might make it some of the way, but we were not designed to do this long term. It leads to crash and 
burn. And then thirdly, there's our book, our book Reset, which we are recommending this summer. This is a book I love. I cannot recommend it highly enough, but I have been privileged in our study to cover literally one-third of the book. One-third of the book. And, I, and I'm not going to tell you who's responsible for this massive endeavor in this study because I would absolutely hate to embarrass Pastor Mike. Yet here I am with you and feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> I kid. Actually, I'm not kidding at all. Then there's this idea of burnout. Burnout and the fact that when we carry an unsustainable for load for too long, we will give out, our bodies will give out, maybe our minds will give out, maybe we'll give out spiritually. Burnout manifests itself in a plethora of ways, and so I invite you with me to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 11, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. In the Gospels, we are given 89 chapters of biblical text, but there is no other place in all of the Gospels where we are given this particular glimpse of the heart of Jesus than right here in Matthew chapter 11. And I want to spend a moment unpacking a portion of our text because we're going to refer back to it throughout our portion of study. So to set the context, Jesus is speaking right now to people who had been weighed down and completely overwhelmed with religious legalism that was forced onto them by the scribes and the Pharisees. This was their life. You could say he was giving an invitation to people experiencing religious burnout, and now here comes Jesus who is offering spiritual satisfaction. He's offering reconciliation. He's offering rest apart from rules, apart from religion. Any and all of you who have a background in a rules-based religion, I'll call it, know how exhausting it is. You know there's lots of fear. You know there's lots of others pleasing. There's no relief. There is no rest. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a breath of fresh air. To the ancient audience and to us as well. The word rest means to refresh or revive. So we realize from the very get-go that Jesus and the cloak of Jesus' grace is the answer to our exhaustion. He is the answer to our burnouts. His natural posture is found with arms wide open. And so we begin our study with hope, and we will end our study with hope. But for now, we need to spend some time addressing the ugly monsters of burnouts and breakdowns. It was about three years ago when I was plugging along in ministry. My hands were to the plow. My head was down. I was busy as all get out. I was carrying burdens. I was suffering in silence, something I do well. I'm very talented at suffering in silence. And I began to experience a season of deep suffering in the form of insomnia. My anxiety spiked. It went through the roof. I began experiencing full-blown burnout, and I had no idea. I was young in ministry. I was younger than I am now in ministry, and I had no idea what I was going through. I had no name for this particular monster. All I knew is that my chest hurt, my mind raced endlessly, and I felt suffocated. I wanted to fix everyone, and I wanted to fix everything around me, yet I was the one that was the most broken. I was the one that needed fixed. 
So naturally, I soon ended up at my family doctor. An hour later, I was laying in a bed in a hospital. My shirt was off. I was hooked up to all kinds of equipment, mostly stuff to monitor my heart. It turned out I had a genetic predisposition to heart issues, which actually wasn't even my greatest issue, and I'll circle back to that later on. So I was released, put on medication. I'm still regu regularly monitored to this day, but it was a time when I had to lower my pride. I had to accept help, which is hard for me. I had to accept help medically and spiritually, and so I found my way to this book, to Reset. And I took a short holiday to the coast with my girls, and I read it, and I wept. I wept out of conviction. Where I was, that dark monster that I was trying to avoid, the dark monster I still try to avoid is no stranger. In all reality, I'm probably speaking to people right now who have gone through the same exact thing or something very similar. Or maybe you're there now. So let's explore some warning lights together, and from this we can evaluate where we are, and we can beg for God's guiding grace out of this mess. Firstly, we see physical warning lights. You are suffering health issues one after another. Seventy percent of Americans regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress, including headaches, ulcers, breathlessness, chest pains, the list goes on. You find it difficult to sleep, you wake frequently, or... You wake up early and can't go back to sleep. I know how frustrating that is. I speak from experience. You're like one pastor who admitted that his excessive sleep was an escape. Maybe you're putting on weight through a lack of exercise or eating too much junk food. Those are physical, but they're also emotional warning lights. It's been a long time since you've had a good laugh. Maybe it's been a long time since you've made somebody else laugh. Instead, in the place of laughter is just spiritual numbness. As soon as you wake, you think, you think about the day ahead, your heart starts pounding over the decisions that you face, mostly other people's expectations. You find it difficult to rejoice in other folks' joy, oftentimes forcing yourself to fake it. Most of the time, you're just, you're just faking it. And then there are relational warning lights. Maybe your marriage is not what it once was. Maybe you don't delight in your spouse as you once did. You spend limited time with your children, and the time that you do spend, spend with them is interrupted by the stupid phone. Or it's interrupted by the thoughts of all the other more profitable things that I could be doing right now rather than playing with my children. You frequently lose your temper. You're in conflict with various people. Two more, there are moral warning lights. You view risque material on the internet. Perhaps you've even graduated to using porn. You medicate yourself and your conscience by overspending, overdrinking, and overeating. And then there are the spiritual warning lights. Maybe somebody that you used to know who, come, who came to church, perhaps they even sat in the seat or the pew next to you. They're not even living for God right now. Perhaps somebody comes to mind. Maybe that person experienced one or more of the following. Your personal devotions have decreased in length and increased in distraction. You check email and social media before you meet with God each day. And I found most of the time with this, this isn't an intentional, I'm going to show you God, I'm going to get on Instagram first. It's, it's just a, a habitual thing. It's something that, that I got out of a couple of years ago, and it's made a big difference for me. It's really helped me. 
Listening to sermons sends you to sleep, as one burnout businessman wrote. One of the things that have been a great concern to me is the fact that I haven't been moved by a sermon in years, and I've listened to some great sermons. You don't enjoy fellowship with other Christians or serving God's church. Or perhaps you believe all of the truths of the Bible, but you don't actually believe them for yourself. Two ugly monsters, burnout and breakdown, which can lead to two questions that are natural to ask in the midst of this. Number one, where in the world is God in all of this? Number two, what on planet earth is he doing? Perfectly natural questions to ask. And in fact, somebody who suffered maybe more than anybody, Job, asked the same two questions. And the answers are in the text of Job. Job chapter 23, verse 10. Verse 10a, he, speaking of God, he knows the way that I take. And then verse 10b, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. He's saying, God knows where you are and God knows what he's doing. Burnouts and breakdowns, two ugly monsters. So how in the world did we get here? How did I get here? The answer in all likelihood is that we've been carrying the wrong yoke. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Here we're given the antidote as Jesus goes on to state in verse 30 that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Here Jesus is using irony in the sense that his, his yoke is really no yoke at all. It's actually the removal of our earthly yoke. It's the removal of our religious yoke. And this is not by any means implying that a life submitted to Christ is an easy life, but it is a full life. It is a fulfilling life. It is a life that provides far more peace when its identity is rooted in Jesus Christ rather than wrapped up in and washed around by a thousand lesser things. So that's there. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to get to under the direction of Jesus Christ, controlled by the Holy Spirit. But how did we get here? And by here, I mean tired and weary and confused. By here, I mean burnout. We'll begin with life situation, things largely outside of the realm of our control, and then we'll work to lifestyle, those things that are a little bit more personal. Life situation is simply a nod to the fact that life happens. Many of the people that I meet with, many of the people that I counsel, many of the people that I talk to, they're just victims of, of living in a Genesis chapter 3 kind of world. They're victims of life in a fallen world. Put simply, sin breaks. It's not so much that they've made a, a bunch of bad choices that have had a compound effect. It's just that they've had some difficult things thrown their way. Illness. Illness isn't just a possible result of burnout. In many cases, it's the cause. Then you factor in on top of that a, a stressful and sometimes unsustainable load at work. And then on top of that, a, a pandemic. And then illness, whether it's severe or it's not severe, then can suddenly feel humongous. It has a crushing effect upon us. It has a crushing effect upon our souls. And then there's conflict. This is a big one for me. Even saying the word conflict gives me a sense of anxiety because there are few things in this life that drain me more than conflict. Naturally, as a human being, there is conflict that I have to manage in my own life. As a minister, I'm called to mediate in times of conflict Sometimes. So there's illness, conflict, and then there's evil. If you are used to a regular intake of media, then you know they don't generally deploy most of their resources to cover all the glorious things going on in the kingdom of God, do they? Quite the opposite. 
Charlie Hahn, the author of Play It Away, found that when he cut the news out of his life completely, his anxiety plummeted within two weeks. Two weeks. And I'm not suggesting at all that we run around as a bunch of uninformed Christians, but what I am suggesting is that by curbing our media appetite to a degree, it could make a significant difference. And then there's change. We're living in a time where change is happening at an exponential rate. When I used to hear the word change, I would throw a party. I'd be like, yes, come on, let's get it. Being a millennial and all, right? Now when I hear the word change, I do quite the opposite. In fact, I'm a little gun-shy at times. Change fatigued, as I'm sure many of you can relate. And then finally, under life situation is sovereignty. The sovereignty of God, which just means this. It means that God is in control of everything. He's in control of all things. Not everything has a suffice human explanation. Sometimes it's just divine sovereignty. God is allowing something into my life. I don't know why he's doing this. I don't know why he's allowing this into my life, but thankfully, Scripture addresses it. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, that he, speaking of God, is working it for my good, for my sanctification, for my Christ-likeness, which ultimately results in his glory, which is the entire point anyways. One Christian man stated, I couldn't burn out. I was doing everything right. I had a healthy marriage, a great love life. I didn't look at porn. I read the Bible. I prayed every day. I didn't cheat my family either. I played with my kids for an hour every night, yet there I was having a genuine certified 14-carat breakdown. Crash and burn. The psalmist understands this well as he writes in Psalm 43, 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And this is something that we should continually preach to ourselves. Here it is. Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. No, we don't always know what's wrong. No, we don't always have to know what's wrong as long as we keep our hope in God and as long as we rest in his sovereign purpose. So how did I get here? We've looked at life situations, but now let's look to lifestyle as we progress from those things largely outside of our control to those things squarely inside the realm of our control. And so the first and most obvious is idolatry. Oftentimes we unknowingly set up our vocations and careers as, as gods, the ultimate source of our joy and satisfaction. But this is going to cause some serious friction in the Christian life because God did this thing in Genesis chapter 3 where he actually put a curse upon our work. And why did he do that? He did that so that we could never find our full satisfaction in our work because that's reserved for him. And so he makes it very clear in Exodus 34 and plenty of other places throughout Scripture that he is a jealous God. He is jealous in the sense that he is jealous for his own glory. He is not going to allow us to steal that, to take that away from him. As he knows, our hearts are bent on idolatry. For me personally, perhaps the most discouraging aspect of student ministry, not just student ministry, any ministry for that matter, and I'm just being honest and transparent with you, is finding out where your life's work, and my life's work is supposed to be, if I'm doing it right, pointing people towards Jesus, finding out where my life's work often ranks in the lives of my flock. There are so many competing interests these days, it's not even funny. There's sports, there's studies, social life, social media, and a thousand other things. Something naturally has to take the back seat, right? Sadly, parents don't always help. And so a trend that I am now witnessing personally, I am witnessing this trend 
is it's not just pastors and doctors. It's not just men and women in their 40s and 50s and beyond who are crashing. I am seeing young adults. I am seeing students who are crashing. I'm witnessing it. It's happening. And the worst part about it is we often wait and witness the crash before stepping in instead of jumping in when we see these warning signs. It is difficult to help others with life management when we haven't even learned how to pace our own selves. I've never had someone come to me and blame their burnout on the submission of their lives to Jesus as Lord. It's never happened. I've never even had anybody come up to me and blame their burnout on devoting their free time to their families. It's never happened. Shocking, I know. We've recognized idolatry as the chief culprit of burnout as it pertains to lifestyle, but comparison is another. Guys, don't underestimate this one. Comparison. It is difficult to pursue Christ and treasure him above all else in the world when we are constantly comparing ourselves and our work and our ministries and our looks and our personalities and all sorts of other things to everyone around us. Comparison can quickly lead to competition, which then quickly leads to jealousy, which then leads to bitterness. And bitterness doesn't just make us spiritually sick, it literally makes us physically sick as well. And then identity. This is a big one. There's a ton that I could say on identity, but I'm just going to say this, is that if you are a Christian and you are finding your identity in anything or anyone else apart from Jesus, you are already experiencing or you will at some point experience burnout in the form of an identity crisis, and it will hurt. I refer back to our text, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to who? Come to me. Come to Jesus. Who will give you rest? I, Jesus, will give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What is he doing? He's reminding us here half a dozen times in these three tiny verses that he is not to only be our source of rest, okay? He's not just to be our source of rest. He must be our identity as well. Otherwise, there can be no rest. Full stop. The next one is one we don't hear talked about a lot, and that's diet. You've heard it said before, we are what we eat. Well, it's true. Many studies have demonstrated the impact of our food upon our mood. If you don't believe me, ask a diabetic. And then there's media diet, similarly to food. So we are what we eat. We're also what we consume. We often live live life as if Philippians 4 actually says this, whatever things are false, whatever things are sordid, whatever things are wrong, whatever things are filthy, whatever things are ugly, whatever things are terrible, if there's any vice, if there's anything worthy of criticism, meditate on these things. While this is not an exhaustive list by any means, these are things that we should not minimize because they can have a compound effect upon us and they can crush us. And then there's the sermon that we preach in our sleep. The first widely recorded sheep panic occurred on the night of November the 3rd, 1888 in Oxfordshire, England. Around 8 o'clock, tens of thousands of sheep across an area of 200 miles around the town of Reading impulsively and simultaneously went nuts. They broke out of their pens and bolted out onto open fields, destroying everything in their way. And so the next morning they were found scattered all over the place, some of them miles away from their fields, and they were cowering in fear, still panting, 
So naturally, local farmers who wanted answers started looking for answers. And they explained there was nothing particularly extraordinary about this night. There were no meteor showers or anything like that. It was just a dark night. In fact, it was a really dark night. Naturalist Oliver Vernon Applin took particular interest in the incident, and he launched a full investigation. He explains that animals see perfectly well on ordinary dark nights. But on exceptionally dark nights, animals can feel trapped and become overwhelmed by a sense of helplessness. It was a dark night, the darkest of nights, and similarly, what we are discussing now could be described as one very long dark night where without the voice and the presence and the embrace of our shepherd, Jesus Christ, we will naturally lose our way. And guys, at times it'll feel like we're losing our minds. Circling back to my episode in the hospital concerning my heart, it actually wasn't even my heart that was the biggest issue. It was my sleep, or lack thereof. I had stopped sleeping, and by day number three, I was seeing things that weren't there. I was hearing people who weren't there. I was hearing intruders who weren't there, perpetually making dashes to my gun case. I was scaring my wife. I literally thought I was losing my mind. God forced me to admit that I needed help. I needed doctors. I needed medicine. I needed sleep. I needed my shepherd. We don't generally think of sleep as something related to the way that we view God, but there are few things more indicative of your walk with God than sleep. Sleep is connected to the way that we read our Bibles. Sleep is connected to the way that we process the reading of our Bibles. Sleep is even connected to the way that we worship And I understand some of what I'm saying right now probably sounds ludicrous in some way, but Scripture affirms it. Show me your sleep pattern, and I will show you not only your view of God, but what you are communicating to God. Because we all preach a sermon in our sleep. For example, if we pride ourselves on sleeping only a few hours a night and are operating perfectly fine off of that, I've met dozens of people like this, we preach the following truths. This is Not necessarily what you are saying. You're probably not saying this audibly to God, but this is what your life is communicating to God. Number one, I don't trust God with my work, my church, or my family. Sure, I believe God's sovereign. I believe he's in control of all things. I got that. Christ has promised to build his church. I got that too, but who's working the night shift? Number two, I don't respect how my creator has made me. I'm strong enough to cope without God's sufficient gift of daily sleep. I refuse to accept my creaturely limitations and bodily needs. The psalmist says all kinds of stuff about this. Psalm chapter 3, Psalm chapter 4, Psalm chapter 127. Thirdly, I don't believe my soul and body are linked. I can neglect my body and my soul won't suffer. That's false. I could go on and on and on about what we communicate to God when we neglect our rest, but I come back to my original question, what sermon are you preaching in your sleep? Many of the world's top athletes, Roger Federer, LeBron James, Usain Bolt. These guys sleep anywhere from 9 to 12 hours a night. Charlie Hahn writes that every anxious person I have met has either been in denial about how little sleep they get or they're overlooking the fact that they're going to bed at random hours every night. One of my readers wrote the following message to me. When I began forcing myself to sleep eight hours a night, my physical problems cleared up, my emotions balanced out, my anxiety disappeared, my mind could function, eight hours of sleep was a miracle pill. This is real stuff. 
I'm not suggesting that eight is the magic number. Everybody is different. I personally, I'm a six and a half to seven hour guy. Any less than that, I began to suffer. Those around me began to suffer. A lack of sleep due to its undermining of safety, creativity, problem-solving ability, and productivity is estimated to cost American businesses $63 billion a year. Successful businesses, businesses like Netscape and Amazon are led by CEOs who place a high priority on sleep. In fact, there's this trend now that there, a lot of top companies are setting up what they call nap pods for their employees. I've daydreamed about this. Something tells me it's not going to make it into our budget, but you know, a man can dream, right? <laughs> when lecturing about Charles Spurgeon's suffering with depression, Pastor John Piper said, for me, adequate sleep is not a matter of staying healthy. It's a matter of staying in the ministry. As it concerns our spiritual nature, I believe that the words sleep and the words trust, trusting God, that is, are synonymous. Because it is hard to get a good night of sleep when we can't rest in the promises of God. One pastor confessed that he had been depriving himself of sleep for years. You want to know why he was depriving himself of sleep? Because that's what the Puritans did. For the five of you who have read my bio on our website, <laughs> and the two of you who have probably seen my library, you know I love the Puritans. I look to the Puritans for many things, but sleep is not one of them. And for those guilty, I'll be the first to say they were dead wrong in this area. Ultimately, sleep, like everything else, should lead us to the gospel. It should lead us, it should drive us to the Savior. Firstly, it should prompt us to think about death, that we will all close our eyes as in sleep and wake up in another world, as 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says. It teaches us about our Savior. The fact that Jesus slept in Mark chapter 4 is just as profound as his weeping in John chapter 11. If the Son of God needed sleep, I think we do too. It illustrates salvation. Think about it. How much are we really doing in our sleep? Nada. Zilts. We're not doing anything in our sleep. That's why Jesus used it. That's why Jesus used rest, that is, to illustrate his salvation in our text in Matthew 11. Likewise, Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not you. It's not you. It's not from you. It is a gift of God, just as sleep is a gift. So then bragging about operating on a few hours of sleep is like boasting as if we are responsible for our own saving. That's crazy. And it communicates to God that he really isn't all that important in our lives. Finally, it points us heavenward. It points us to heaven. Hebrews 4 speaks of the rest that awaits all of us who follow Jesus. We've looked at the ugly monsters of burnout and breakdown. We've explored how we arrive at the place of burnout. We've been reminded of the sermon that we preach in our sleep. As we wrap up, I would encourage you, fourthly and finally, to slow down. Slow down. And I don't think this can be overstated because we live in a world where the opposite is communicated at every single turn. The American dream says this, if you don't, want you, if you don't have what you want, work harder. Jesus says, if you, don't want, if you don't have what you want, the problem is not that you desire too much. The problem is that you desire too little. Learn to desire me. Learn to come to me, and I will give you rest. Slow down. God himself models this idea for us of slowing down for us in Genesis 2, where it says he rests, rests on the seventh day, and he didn't just rest. Scripture 
It says he rested, I'm saying this in all caps, he rested from all work. He rested from everything. Hebrews 4.10, for anyone who enters God's rest and also rests from their works, just as God did from his. We would do well to follow his lead. If checking your email on your day off is too great a temptation, then make it inaccessible. And if that's too hard, then ask your spouse to hold you accountable. I'm sure he, let me rephrase that, I'm sure she most likely would love that opportunity of holding you accountable. If your day off begins with a quick trip to the office, because we all know how quick those trips generally are, your family just got cheated. I recently spoke to a wife and mother who told me, I just wish he would realize that we would be happy with less if we could have more of him. More of him and more of her would keep more of them together. So what is the answer? What is the fix to the lack of rest? The gospel is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Sin breaks, but Jesus restores More Jesus, always more Jesus. We don't need seven tips from Healthline. We need more Jesus. The end is Christ. The means is Christ. Come to me. I will give you rest. Circling back to our equation, our big idea, unsustainable load plus fast pace equals crash and burn. We can slow down or God can slow us down. The latter normally isn't a pretty sight. There's a lot to digest here, I know, so I'm just going to give us five pointers for the road, if you will. If we do these things, we will be better dads and moms, we'll be better students, we'll be better employees and employers. Most importantly, we'll be more effective for the kingdom of God. I'll call these five habits of grace. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a helpful list, I hope. Five habits of grace. Number one, minimize distractions. Even Apple, yes, Apple in iOS 15, believe it or not, has new features under what it calls focus to help us with this. Minimize distractions. When it is date night, that is her time, guys. Put the phone away. If it's a, if it's a temptation, and I get it, ministry never stops, so they say, but your accessibility can stop. Turn off the phone, be hers. She deserves you. She deserves all of you. Secondly, exercise vigorously three times a week. I encourage you to get a gym membership. If you have one, make sure you're actually using the one you have. And you know what? You don't even have to be in a gym. Praise the Lamb of God, we live in wild and wonderful West Virginia, right? Go outside. Enjoy some fresh air. Speed walk in your subdivision, whatever it is for you. Thirdly, take a full day off each week. And I don't mean a half-distracted, half-present kind of day. I mean a full day where you are present. Use that time to rest. Do whatever it is for you that renews your body and resets your soul. And next, spend at least one evening a week with your spouse. If I'm preaching to no one else right now, I am preaching to Ryan, Scott, Bandy, because my wife has gotten the shaft. And oftentimes I'll use busyness as an excuse. Well, there is no excuse. If our marriages are designed to reflect the glory of God through the relationship to Christ and his bride, then the church busyness begins to diminish. Busyness isn't a thing anymore. Our spouses need us and we need them, just as the church needs Christ and all of him. 
And finally, prioritize your rest and your sleep schedule. This can and will be difficult at first. It will require discipline, but you will be in the race for longer. For me, I have a medical issue when it comes to sleep, so I needed medication. I couldn't turn my mind off at night. In fact, my mind goes into overdrive at night. There are teas, there are podcasts, there are all kinds of things designed to calm us. Everyone has their own way of winding down. I like to read. I enjoy reading. I've never really been into fiction, but I've gotten into it recently. I read fiction before I go to bed, and it's really helped me. All I'm asking is that we just be intentional. We be willing to try new things and prioritize our rest for your sleep and for the glory of our radiant and perfect God. Let's pray. God, we need you. We will often admit this with our words while our lives say something entirely different. Help our words and our living to match up. Please drive us to Jesus and to the rest that he offers. And for those listening who don't know you personally, they have no shot at true rest until they come to know you. Draw them to yourself through the saving power of the Holy Spirit of God and make us more like you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.